We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning. And we are starting this morning by asking the question uh, that leftists always ask us, which is what is the harm of transgenderism? Well, a new study indicates that thousands of minors have actually undergone gender surgery. This is was incredible to me to discover. The Daily Signal reports that transgender advocates repeatedly claim that minors only take puberty-blocking drugs or cross-sex hormones, but never undergo surgeries in an attempt to force their male or female bodies to resemble the opposite sex. Yet a new study estimates that more than 3,000 minors underwent transgender surgeries in a five-year period, and more than 400 of them had their genitals removed. The Journal of American Medical Association published a study Wednesday estimating that nearly 50,000 Americans underwent quote-unquote gender-affirming surgeries from 2016 to 2020, and 3,678 of them underwent surgery between the ages of 12 and 18. In this study, Columbia University researchers estimated that a little over 3,200 of those minors underwent breast and chest surgery and 405 of them underwent genital surgery. Meanwhile, 350 underwent other cosmetic procedures. So joining me now to respond to uh, this really tragic study is my good friend Katie Faust, who is the author of Them Before Us, Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement. And she also has a brand new book out called Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City, Teaching Historical, Economic, and Biological Truth in a World of Lies. So Katie, thanks so much for joining me today. And um, this this whole study really shocked me how many children f- under 18 have actually undergone these horrific surgeries. Yeah, it's a major violation of the fundamental rights of children to have an unmedicalized, intact body. And what this ideology is doing is mutilating them for life, way, way below they could even consent or understand exactly what they are undergoing, the risks involved, and the lifelong implications. So this should wake all of us up that, once again, the activists are obscuring um, what's happening on the ground to advance their own ideology, and children are paying the price. 
Absolutely. And there was also a piece in the Daily Mail just yesterday saying that an online job search company uh, indeed offers a $10,000 benefit for transgender workers and their families who want to move to a new state that allows children to be prescribed puberty blockers. And so this just goes into more and more companies that and states as well that are trying to push and incentivize this type of tragedy. Well, it's interesting, um, you know, at, at Them Before Us, we address the cultural, legal, and technological shifts that are undermining the rights of children. But what you just said is actually another facet of this cultural overhaul, and that is that woke corporations actually have a massive part of pushing and promoting these damaging ideologies. Uh, one thing at Them Before Us that we're going to be working on next year is a child-friendly children's first corporate benefit package because so many of these HR benefits that woke corporations use to recruit and retain employees actually significantly harm and damage children. So for those of us that care about the well-being of kids, our radar, our antenna has to be up. We have to be willing to go and fight in all of these different arenas that are advancing um, treatments, procedures, and ideas that are harming children's life, family, mind, and body, because really that's what's under assault here. It, it really is. And this type of gender-affirming care relocation benefit, as it's called, uh, that initiative went into effect in July. They indeed told Axios in a statement last week, uh, according to this Daily Mail article. And this just seems so ridiculous that this type of so-called benefit would be promoted by companies and it doesn't seem to serve any sort of tangible or rational connection to why these companies are trying to invest in this kind of woke ideology. I mean, what's what's the point and benefit for a company like Indeed to offer this kind of benefit? Well, honestly, it's because they're slaves to um, rating organizations like the Human Rights Campaign, which will give you marks for LGBT-friendly policies, and this certainly counts among them, um, and that all of them want these high ratings, right, these, these inclusive four-star ratings that they're getting from HRC and other similar organizations. Um, and it's a travesty, right, because their, their woke capital, right, the social acceptance, the, cr the cred that they get um, in the corporate world is coming at the expense of children's bodies. I mean, these treatments... They are, as, as the article pointed out that you just cited, there was a kid that died from this surgery um, when they were trying to alter, I believe, uh, his, remove his penis, create a faux vagina using um, material from his intestines or his stomach, and he died. I mean, these surgeries are massive surgeries that, where you are really interrupting the natural um, operations of your body permanently. Um, and if they don't die from the surgery, very often, you know, that faux vagina that they've tried to create, your body regards that as a wound that you constantly have to keep open through a dilator. I mean, that's what Jab Jennings faced. You know, he had massive complications after his surgery, and he's still undergoing um, all kinds of corrections and the accommodating depression that goes with a body that is misaligned with your with your actual you know biological reality and so this is butchery that these doctors are are taking and that these corporations are then advancing and promoting under the guise of human rights it is just orwellian
Absolutely, it is. And it's it's just so sad. And I was speaking with Katie Faust, who is the author of Them Before Us, Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement. And uh, your new book is Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. And uh, all of these things just go back into the understanding of why we need to have legislation and prevention mechanisms for protection of children, especially under the age of 18. I, I don't think that we should allow any of this, even for adults who want to make their own choices to maim their bodies. I think that there is a lot to be said there, but especially for children under the age of 18. Uh, these types of, of so-called gender-affirming surgeries we know are really butchering and maiming. And so what can be done and what should be done in terms of protecting children's rights and ensuring that these choices to maim their bodies aren't made for them when they're underage? Well, the good news is we've had this surge in uh, protectiveness for parental rights, which is awesome when it comes to the parents who reject these ideologies, creating a, a firewall around their own kids. But that is not enough. Parental rights is not sufficient to fight back against this very hungry ideology that is coming for everybody's child. We need to fight back against all of these child-harming ideologies by fighting for children's rights, all children's rights, a robust, full-throated, unapologetic defense of children's fundamental rights. And in this regard, we're talking about the right to an unmedicalized body, a body that is unadulterated by the time they reach 18, when they are starting to have the faculty and the awareness and the ability to understand long-term implications for their decisions. So in my opinion, we have got to start taking very seriously the protection of children, even if sometimes it is going to override some parents' preferences or understanding of how they should treat a gender dysphoric kid. Even, even parents' rights, supposed rights, have limitations. And when you are altering or threatening a child's life, family, mind, or body, parental rights are insufficient. So it is time, in my opinion, for us to have a coalition, create a coalition of people who are willing to say, I'm going to defend the child, I'm going to push back against these damaging ideas, these damaging policies, these damaging HR promotions that that are going to harm children for life. We are going to defend kids and you're not going to be able to stop us. Yeah, really well said. And this goes uh, right into your new book that's coming out uh, later this month on September 26th, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City, Teaching Historical, Economic, and Biological Truth in a World of Lies. Uh, this is such a great title, and I'm really excited to read this book because I, I think part of this as well is to ensure that kids aren't in taking these lies that they can or should change their gender and some of these uh, lies that are foisted upon them in our education system, in our society at large, to say that something is wrong with them. And so uh, talk about your book a little bit and why this was so important to write right now. I'm very passionate about two things. When it comes to the cultural, legal, and technological changes that are, um, that we're experiencing in culture, you know, one of my passions is don't touch the kids. Whatever's going on with you and your own personal world or your priorities, don't touch the kids. But I'm also very passionate about 
don't touch my kids. You keep your hands, you keep your ideas, you keep your damaging ideology off of my kids. And so my co-author and I have raised together, you know, seven kids in Seattle, largely in public schools. And our kids anybody, you know, because we have been able to inculcate in them biological truth, economic truth, historical truth, biblical truth from an early age in age appropriate ways, following appropriate developmental stages. Um, you cannot capture my children. They will push back against aggressive adults. They will win converts when it comes to understanding the things that need to be conserved in America today, like parental rights and children's rights, like a freedom, freedom of conscience, the idea of male and female, what marriage really is, the, the principles of the free market. I mean, we have been able to slowly but clearly articulate when they are young these critical principles to conserve. And so when the woke ideology comes for them, they can spot the lie, they can laugh it off, and they can push back. So this, to me, is the handbook for every parent in America today. Um, because even if you're not in a blue state, and even if your kids are not in public school, you know that the woke is coming for your kids, too. And the book is called Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. The author is Katie Faust. And one of the main lies and myths that's perpetuated against this to say, well, we want to have this gender affirming care. And who are you to say that there's any harm? And look at all of the great outcomes. How do you push back against the lie that, well, it's none of your business? And where is the real harm if we're not talking, obviously, about gender affirming surgery, just things like, well, we want to raise our children woke. We want to raise them in some of these lies, for example. Well, the harm is that you actually will, but if you're going to be complicit in even suggesting that your mind and your body is disconnected, that is a lie that is going to promote harm at some level, whether it's psychological harm or the very real harm of blocking puberty or using cross-sex hormones, which has, we know, have long-term implications for children's skeletal, um, muscular brain development. Um, I mean, these kids who are on cross-sex hormones and who block their puberty have brittle bones, memory loss. I mean, there's already a lot of harms that we know. You know, so we talk with our kids um, and we talk about in the book that one of the main principles of raising conservative kids is we don't lie. That is a major, major part of the bright red line that as we navigate what it looks like to live consistently in Seattle, according to our principles, is Whatever happens, we don't lie. And things like suggesting that your gender could be different from your body is a lie. And we won't promote it. We won't perpetuate it. So we walk with our kids through, what do you do when you're going around the room and it's the first day of class? I mean, welcome to back to school. This is what our kids are in right now. And people want to know what your pronouns are. I was at the doctor with my son last week. And, you know, they had, okay, what were you assigned at first? What were your pronouns? And, you know, he... <laughs> He left both of them blank. And, you know, because when Good the for him. Came in, I said, what are you going to say? Yeah. I said, what are you going to say? And he said, well, I'll look at her and I'll say. Because it's yeah. And, and, and we got to we got to leave it there, unfortunately. But uh, Katie Faust, the book is Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. And we will be right back with more dividing truth from error right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
According to a recent study of hundreds of post-abortive women, 60% of women reported that they would have preferred to give birth if they had received more support from others or had more financial security. And that's where preborn steps in. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between the life and death of their precious child. You see, the reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision and are being told that their babies are just clumps of cells. Preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance at life. When you support preborn, you are not only supporting women, you empower them. Your donation of $28 will help a woman make a choice that she won't have to regret for the rest of her life and gives her the ultimate blessing, life. Your love can save a life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, yesterday, a another January 6th defendant now got 22 years in prison. This represents the largest and longest sentence yet in January 6th cases. And apparently, this particular defendant was not even at uh, the Capitol or in Washington, D.C. at all during January 6th. And for perspective, recent sentences handed down to non-violent January 6th trespassers uh, were 10 years for one defendant, 15 years, 17 years, and now this 22-year sentence. And for further perspective, a uh, another individual who was at a defendant was sentenced to 180 days in prison for uh, raping two girls age four and nine. So uh, is this justice? Well, uh, joining me now to discuss is Alan Mashburn, who is the GOP candidate for lieutenant governor out of the great state of North Carolina. And uh, Alan, I just have to say, I mean, you, you know, the, the spectrum of the entire January 6th uh, issue, obviously there were crimes committed that day. There were uh, things that people should reasonably be charged with. But this type of sentencing structure seems incredibly excessive. Yeah, I don't think anyone can dispute that uh, there was some wrongdoing done. Anytime you storm a government building, uh, it is not called uh, uh, the right thing to do necessarily. But it does not warrant a two-tiered justice system that we're seeing with uh, the, the J6ers and, and even even prosecuting but also persecuting uh, what's going on with uh, President Trump and you and, and many others down in Georgia. We, we have a two-tiered justice system, and I think we all should be very, very concerned about this. And, and what concerns me most is the lack of concern I'm seeing. Yeah, really well said. And frankly, um, the lack of concern, I think, from other uh, GOP candidates for the presidency, I've been, frankly, surprised and, and disappointed that Governor DeSantis, for example, the talking point from the Never Back Down pack has been, well, we just want to distance from Trump's, quote unquote, jail drama. And I thought that was wildly out of touch with how Americans are very concerned about the weaponization of government, uh, not just against against President Trump and everyone under uh, that kind of wide tent of allies, but even against 
uh, pastors, against parents, against all types of conservative censorship, all of this that's been going on since 2020 that's now been revealed more through the Twitter files. There's so much going on that Governor DeSantis is not directly addressing, it appears to me, just because President Trump is his political opponent. What does that say to you? And and I know that you are a Trump supporter, but just from a, a general GOP perspective, that really has disappointed me. It's very disappointing. And the entire GOP system is very disappointing in this because uh, their, their silence is, is, is speaking volumes. We all are on the chopping block here. You all, as far as where you're standing, as far as prosecution, where President Trump is standing, uh, you're the front people. They're wanting to get to all of us. And that's exactly what's happening to the J6ers. They're not well-known celebrities. They're not national figures. They're just ordinary people. Yes, they might have committed a crime, but 22 years, while over $2 billion from the Black Lives Matter riots in Washington, D.C., that's what an insurrection looks like, not storming a government building. Very concerning. The GOP needs to step up and and man up and and be all over this. Yeah, and Vivek Ramaswamy was uh, really the only candidate that that after the sentencing of 22 years uh, came out yesterday, tweeted last night, quote, this is wrong and it's sad. I'm the only candidate with the spine to say it. Uh, I thought that was really great. And in fact, since uh, listeners know he's a friend of mine, I texted him and said, I'm really proud of you for being willing to say that. And, uh, and, and you know, Alan, I, I just think that the entire focus of the GOP seems to just be on more fundraising and more uh, access and other issues. They're not really focused on solving problems. And that seems to be the complete antithesis of what the base and general Americans are really expecting from a party. And so from a state level perspective, because I know you're running for uh, Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, I'm speaking with Alan Mashburn. Um, what can you do and what do you plan to do as an executive officer to at least combat some of this in your state? And what would you like to see other states do as well? Well, one thing, we have to stand on principle. And I think politics, and I see this everywhere I go, politics as usual must die. The House of America, the House of our states, our house is on fire. We don't continue acting the same way as we always have acted. Otherwise, we get the same thing we always have gotten. We have got to be different. Politicians have to be sent home. They have to be retired. And I'm not talking only about those who are like Mitch McConnell who are aging out. I'm talking about those who have lost their way. Ordinary people are rising up and they're running for office because they care about this country. There's too much blood been shed on the battlefields of, a, of, of, a, of the world by our veterans to, to sit idly by. On the state level, I want to be the leader that raises the standard of the Constitution and the, the rule of law. You come in our state and you want to wreak our system, you want to spread your Marxism, you want to riot in our streets, there's going to be a price to pay because there are workers, there are employers out there, there are people, good people, who are living right and abiding by the law, and they want to just go home and be safe with their family. You come in this this state of North Carolina and do that, 
you're going to pay dearly. Well, yeah, and, and I just got an alert this morning from just the news that Illinois is the top state that residents are fleeing due to crime and taxes. I mean, there is such a difference, Alan Mashburn, between the administration of blue states versus the administration of red states. And so many people see that difference, and yet so many people still vote for the very same policies that they're fleeing. And that makes no sense to me. But then when you look at what the GOP is actually trying to do, to fix the problem, which is really nothing, in my opinion. I mean, there's so many things. Oh, we're going to investigate. We're going to go on the media for, you know, a few a few minute TV hit just to say that this was the legislation that I'm promulgating that has absolutely no pathway to to actually being passed. And there are no real constitutional solutions. What you mentioned as well is that common sense Americans like you are rising up and saying that, and I think we lost Alan there. We'll try to get him uh, back here with, with my producers. But what I was going to ask him is, you know, common sense Americans are standing up and they're saying, I want to be involved in my government and I want to run for office. But one of the things that I'm seeing uh, personally, and I'll get Alan's take on this if we can get him back, is that um, the, the GOP as a whole and the RNC as a national organization is actually trying to quash that type of involvement from the regular people, because these are outsiders that aren't the politically favored in the party. And so the RNC is then trying, and we saw this especially in the midterms with so many different America First candidates that were wonderful that ran, that the RNC and other GOP operatives actually put in some of their own funding against some of those candidates that they couldn't control. And I'm talking about, for example, uh, Senator Doug Mastriano, who ran for governor out of the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, there was money from, uh, it was, I believe, Carl Rove and, and some other of uh, those types of individuals and, and in their organizations that they led that actually were advertising against him and led to, in part, and obviously not entirely, but in part to the election of a wildly radical leftist and Democrat that is now running the state of Pennsylvania. And so we should ask ourselves the question, well, why are the GOP not actually promoting these America First candidates that won the primary. Doug Mastriano ran, uh, ran and he won the primary over the GOP preferred candidate by over 20 points. So he was clearly the preferred by the grassroots. I was up there, I was one of the advisors, full disclosure, on his campaign uh, during that time at every single rally and every single place that he went, there was massive turnout. And I'm almost on like a state level, what you would see from from a state level mirroring uh, the enthusiasm for President Trump during 2020. And every time that he went out, the grassroots were fully with him. But the national RNC didn't like him because they knew that he was not going to play their games. And so they didn't really help him. The uh, the, the GOP in a wide variety of ways and a lot of the regular institutions that would give funding, give support to that type of campaign that's a statewide race, didn't do it and didn't show up for him. And I think it's in incredibly appalling 
that the GOP is not willing to support America first candidates and they're not willing to support the people that they just can't control. And I'm told that our good friend Alan Mashburn is back. And so, Alan, I, I was talking as um, as you as we were trying to reconnect with you about why the GOP is not supporting the America first candidates that they can't control. And I think that's frankly appalling that the GOP as a national organization wants to hold their their power over the candidates only that they prefer. And so we're seeing so many America first candidates that are winning their primaries, but then losing the general election, I think in large part due to the RNC, not just not helping them, but actively working against them. Well, I think that's rather obvious, sadly. Um, you know, I, I really think there's just a, a big disconnect there. I see it everywhere. Um, I, I'm sad to see it. I, I, you know, it's just the honest truth. Uh, there's a disconnect between the, the hierarchy uh, and the grassroots. The grassroots have been well aware of it for some time. But um, if we're going to win this thing and fight the battles that we have to fight, we're going to have to understand that the only way to do that is to put our country first and America first policies. That's exactly what caused us to succeed uh, during the Trump uh, presidency. And inflation was down at an all-time low, affordability of housing, mortgage rates. I mean, you, you can see putting America last where it takes us. This is where we are. And um, if the GOP really wants to win, they're going to have to put our country first. Well, and I think that's really the seminal question. Does the GOP, and I'm talking about the national organization, do you think they really do want to win? Because winners and, and people who have that as the main goal, not something else like fundraising or um, all of their you know different surgeries and, and, and other optical things like Ronna McDaniel uh, spending a ton of money on stuff like that and all of her media hits. Uh, if that's if their goal is really winning, is the strategy that they're implementing actually going to achieve that goal? Because I don't see it. No, I don't think they really want to win. I think they're satisfied with being a controlled opposition. And I'm to the point, I'm not a career politician. Career politicians, they just run and run and run, and, and they're just funded by outside sources. They're, they love the title. They love the, the public uh, attention. I'm running because I have to run, because I see our country going down the toilet, going up in flames. I see my children's future uh, uh, not having a future. I'm running because I have to run. And so there's the disconnect. They're content with losing an election, going on to the next election, playing the game, politics as usual. I'm not content with that. I'm not content with that at all. I want an America that I grew up in so that my children can have the same goals and can have the same American dream that I did. Yeah, really well said. And I think you're right, Alan Mashburn, that uh, the Republican Party, to a large extent, is just willing to be the controlled opposition. And we do need to change that. And I've said for years that people who really want to actively engage not only, of course, should get out and vote, but should also support the candidates directly and fund the candidates directly instead of going through the national organizations where you really don't know where your money is going to. And, uh, and so how can people 
uh, help support your campaign if they're interested? And how can they find a more out, find out more about you and your campaign for lieutenant governor in North Carolina? Well, we're all over social media. Uh, the handles are uh, Mashburn for NC, and of course our website Allen for NC dot com. Uh, we are completely uh, grassroots, and I, I want to second that, what you just said. Send it to the candidates. It does not reach the floor, the, the grassroots, when you send it to the, uh, the, the national and state organizations. Send it to the candidates that you support and align up with your values. Yeah, really, really well said. And just about the last 60 seconds I have with you as well, I know that you're a pastor and it is so incredibly important to pray as well for our country. So what's your encouragement there? Pray without ceasing. Um, this is not the time to get up. Don't allow yourself to be in front of a television and watching news to be discouraged. Uh, get your encouragement from the Word of God and pray, and I guarantee you, you will have peace that passes all understanding that people will look at you and wonder, how in the world can you not be fretful? It's because I know who's in charge, and I'm leaning on His everlasting arms. Mm, so well said and such a great encouragement. Well, Alan Mashburn, thanks so much for joining me today. And you can find out more about his campaign and also follow him on social media. You're sometimes, I think, just as snarky as me on social media. And I love that. Uh, that's great, Alan Mashburn. And I always really appreciate having you. And that is such a timely encouragement that we do need to pray without ceasing. Prayer should be our first go-to. It shouldn't just be the add-on or sort of the last resort to go to God. That should be our number one priority to daily be in prayer, pray for our country, pray that we can turn this around and have a better direction. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And in the latest saga of X, formerly known as Twitter, Elon Musk has threatened to sue the ADL or the Anti-Defamation League over lost X revenue. And the Anti-Defamation League has become a lot like the SPLC or the, the Southern Poverty Law Center that really isn't all about anti-defamation. It's just a leftist organization that, in my opinion, is attempting to just foist its own views on everyone else and call people uh, anti-Semitic or hateful simply to uh, censor them. And Elon Musk has now threatened to sue the Anti-Defamation League and uh, hilariously wants them to take the A out of their name, so they're just the Defamation League, after accusing the uh, civil rights group that campaigns against against so-called anti-Semitism and bigotry of trying to kill his ex-social media platform, according to uh, The Guardian. So he said on Twitter, or now X, since the acquisition, the ADL has been trying to kill this platform by falsely accusing it and me of being anti-Semitic. And so uh, Elon Musk is now also saying that the ADL and their smears of Elon Musk and the platform have caused a, a reduction in advertiser revenue, and that is actually killing the platform. So this is all really fascinating. And so joining me now is Christian Lossfall, who is the social media manager at the Heritage Foundation. And we had Christian on before to talk about the X a whole saga and the series with all of these different standards uh, that are being implemented 
implemented with uh, GARM and so forth. So Christian, this is just, I think, the latest thing with X, uh, that we're learning more about how the left is trying to still censor and control content on the platform using all of these different parameters of so-called hate, hate speech, really just to censor conservative viewpoints. That's exactly right, Jenna. It's a concentrated effort by yet another left-wing organization to remove mainstream conservative positions. Just to give you an idea of how the Anti-Defamation League does this type of stuff. They have a long history of conflating actual anti-Semitic or racist ideas with mainstream, accurate, conservative ideas. If you just go on their website and look at some of the terminology that they deem as either a conspiracy theory or an extremist group, phrases like do your own research are considered conspiracy theory phrases. George Soros uh, saying that he uses his money to manipulate elections, which is something that he publicly professes that he uses his money to influence elections. That is considered a conspiracy theory. And because George Soros has Jewish uh, heritage, you're anti-Semitic for saying so. Things like the Great Reset, of which there is an entire book from the World Economic Forum on that talks about global elites, including in a video published by the World Economic Forum, removing America as the world's leading superpower, the famous you will rent everything, own nothing, and be happy, talking about that it's a conspiracy theory. The deep state, which we all understand undermined the previous presidential administration, which is composed of unaccountable members of the administrative state who are not elected by the people working against the interests of the American people, that is considered a conspiracy theory. Groups like traditionalist Catholics, uh, basically Catholics who attend mass on a regular basis and adhere to the teachings of the Catholic Church, that is an extremist group. Uh, Libs of TikTok, ironically enough, which is run by an Orthodox Jewish woman, is considered an extremist anti-Semitic group. So what they do is they'll list actual Nazi or KKK-type groups alongside mainstream conservative groups. And because you may happen to share an opinion with one of these extremist groups, like, say, George Soros is using money to influence politics or just posting the content that the left puts up on TikTok and resharing it, and someone in the comments criticizes the person in the video that Libs of TikTok might have shared, you are now extremist adjacent, so to speak. But in the ADL's, in ADL's book, they just categorize you as another one of these anti-Semitic or racist individuals. They then take that pressure that they've built over many, many years of their organization being in existence and the fake credibility that they've amassed, and then go to advertisers and say, if you put ad dollars behind these companies, you are supporting anti-Semitism and racism. So what is the consequence? Mainstream, appropriate, and correct conservative opinions are ousted as unsafe for advertisers who are just trying to avoid controversy and make money. They'll just not touch you. And they did this to Facebook in 2020, cost them about 60 to $70 billion in market cap by having a boycott against them for refusing to enforce what ADL deemed to be sufficient standards to silence, you, you're very familiar with these buzzwords, hate speech, homophobia, racism, anti-Semitism, which, as I just explained, often just means mainstream conservative thought. 
Wow. And I'm speaking with uh, Christian Lasval, who's the social media manager at the Heritage Foundation. And this makes so much sense as you describe this, how they're trying to categorize mainstream conservative opinions and views and make them either falsely anti-Semitic or anti-Semitic adjacent, which is the same sort of uh, hate group structure as the SPLC. And so why do these organizations carry so much weight and power with the advertisers because it seems like everybody should know now that if you're just throwing out this term of hate speech or oh you're a racist because you have conservative views it's not grounded in reality and fact and so it would seem like advertisers shouldn't be scared about being put on this sort of watch list but they are they are and that's because these organizations have amassed such a large following over so many years conservatives have kind of taken the passive approach and you know just we've decided we'll continue engaging in the market kind of ignore this crazy left-wing hysteria over here in the meantime they've been leading the long march through the institutions to the point where they now have this influence where when they tell advertisers this is a white supremacist group this is an anti-semitic group this is a homophobic group there are enough companies that share their worldview, and they will come alongside groups like the ADL and say, yeah, we're not going to give ad dollars to this. So Facebook, and Elon posted an article about this from Politico back in 2020 in the post that you read at the top of the segment. Uh, he posted the article that talked about Facebook caving to that pressure, and they introduced new guidelines for what's appropriate speech and what opinions politically you can and can't share most Americans are very familiar with what happened during the COVID era and what we couldn't say that turned out to be exactly right. Uh, that's an example of these companies applying that pressure led by groups like the ADL. Uh, and they've, again, built the influence. They, they share a common worldview with a lot of these other organizations. And even if the organizations don't share the worldview, organizations like ADL have built enough financial influence with their backers or the companies like BlackRock or Vanguard, which have bought up so much stock in a lot of these advertise or, or heavy ad dollar spending companies to where they can threaten the financial stability of these companies. And these companies, even if their CEOs or founders don't necessarily agree, are going to go protect the bottom line before they risk sacrificing it um, uh, by putting ad dollars behind a conservative uh, account. But I, I, in Elon's case on X, He's, I'm glad he's paying attention to the ADL. I'm glad that he's aware of this. I hope he does engage in a defamation lawsuit against them, and I hope he wins. But he's not paying enough attention to the snake that he's already allowed to enter X with their current ad sensitivity partner uh, that Linda Yaccarino, this is what you and I spoke about the last time, introduced to the platform. Because on that end of things, the ad agency Integral Ad Sciences uh, that now monitors the advertising for the X platform they abide by GARM standards, which is another one of these media organizations that this one is directly affiliated with the World Economic Forum. And their safety standards are the same, if not worse, than what the Anti-Defamation League would push. So if he's victorious against ADL, their campaign is led from the outside, where they're pressuring companies from the outside saying, don't spend money here. GARM and the Integral Ad Sciences partnership with X that's an official partnership. They're inside the doghouse. Uh, that company can categorize conservative accounts as sensitive. And when advertisers come to buy ad money on X, if they don't want to be around, quote unquote, sensitive accounts, as determined by the GARM standards of the Integral Ad Sciences company, 
then guess what? That means pages like Jenna Ellis don't get ad money put behind them because you have shared opinions that are deemed unsafe, according to this company. So, again, I'm glad Elon's paying attention to this, but he also has to pay attention to the snake that's already inside his own home. Yeah, and this is what is really fascinating about Elon Musk is that he's kind of playing both sides in a sense because he's going after ADL, but then he's allowing Linda Yaccarino to implement these types of GARM standards and really isn't at least yet giving full transparency. So Libs of TikTok, for example, posted and, and Elon responded to her account saying that Elon should provide full transparency to to tell users and tell everyone what accounts and on what basis the ADL is targeting. And we have, uh, you and I and others, for, for a while since the GARM standards have come out, have asked Elon as well to have full disclosure and transparency to say, well, what accounts are being put in what categories? We still don't know that. And so overall, I think it's really fascinating that Elon is on one hand saying, I'm a champion of free speech. I want everybody um, to be able to post views, even if we disagree with them. I mean, fundamentally, even if you post something that is anti-Semitic, I think that is wrong. It is it is hateful in in the the sense of it's it's wrong and it is hate-filled. But does that mean that that opinion should be censored? And on what basis? Because if you can censor that, then you can censor anybody's opinion who is expressing. Uh, displeasure or opposition to any other opinion. So on one hand, he's saying he's for free speech, but then he's allowing these GARM standards to come in. So where where do you think uh, all of this is going with with the GARM standards? Because I don't see unless we have full transparency actually curing the censorship issue, at least on X as a platform. I think full transparency is something that Elon would probably be very supportive of, and I hope that he implements soon so that accounts themselves, as you said, know where they are according to these standards. Because as we spoke about last time as well, Elon's primary focus, whether we like it or not, is to try and make X profitable. Uh, because the way he bought it, it was not as profitable as he was led to believe. So he's trying to get that to a profitable state. However, it would be helpful at least for creators to understand, hey, what category is this organization putting my account in? So at least I know what to expect from advertisers. But what I will say is something that we as the users and conservatives as the users can do to help in the process is put our money where our mouth is. Conservative organizations that are interested in putting their advertising out there I'm sure many of them are spending ad dollars in Facebook, which is much less friendly to us. X is at, at least has an owner who is listening. So put your money in advertising within X. The same way these left-wing companies are doing it to buy influence to their side, we have to be willing to fight back and do it for ourselves. So don't abandon the platform. Invest in it and purchase the influence, essentially, to get the X to understand, Linda Yaccarino to understand that, alienating conservatives is actually going to prove to be not profitable for you. We did this with Bud Light. They learned real quick they shouldn't have run that Dylan Mulvaney campaign because we stopped spending money with them. If we show X, hey, look, you can reject the pressure campaigns from the ADL. You can reject GARM standards, and you'll see conservative organizations and even other organizations who didn't have the courage to do it before suddenly say, hey, wait a second, they're holding the line. They're not running scared because some silly group called them anti-Semites for saying that uh, the Great Reset is a real thing. So 
if we show that, it could give the other companies courage to say, you know what, we're not going to cave to these pressure campaigns. And look, the left didn't get here overnight. It took them a generation, two generations, since the beginning of these platforms to amass all of this influence, to gain all of this power over what we can share online. So it's not going to happen overnight. But look at the, at the optimistic side of things. Elon purchased Twitter. We went from there's no chance we can overcome this. They were talking directly with the Oval Office, coordinating with the FBI to shut our opinions down. And essentially overnight, Elon purchases the platform, and all of a sudden we have this huge expanse of freedom where we can actually get our message out more than before. Focus on that. That's a positive that we can look at and continue gaining on that progress by putting our ad dollars in a platform like X and showing Elon, who is, again, listening to a lot of conservative voices, responding to them pretty regularly, or at least people who support free speech, and show him that we don't have to have these standards on this platform. You can actually succeed without them. That incremental progress, which the left did over many, many years, it's now our turn to do the same thing, to win the ground back. It's certainly an uphill climb, but that's something that we can do to keep opening guys like Elon Musk's eyes to this and getting the grip that the left has over these platforms loosened. Yeah, really, really important point. Uh, Christian Lasval, social media manager at the Heritage Foundation, that oftentimes conservatives think of our influence as removing our, our dollars, like the boycott of Bud Light and so forth. But to invest in these platforms and to affirmatively say, this is why you want to make sure that you're not losing the conservative base as customers, as uh, as people who are willing to be advertisers, that is just as important. And I am really thankful to see all of the big conservative accounts that are staying on X are talking to Elon that he is interacting with. So maybe there is hope for conservatism. But as you said, we need to continue to persistently stand up and fight back. So Christian Lossville, thanks so much for joining me today. You can find the Heritage Foundation on X and on the social platforms that Christian so well manages. And that's all the time that we have for Jenna Ellis in the morning today. You can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net. We do need to be praying for our country daily. So pray today and every day for the Lord's favor. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.